This is Cultivating Place, conversations on natural history and the human impulse to garden. From North State Public Radio in Northern California, I'm Jennifer Jewell. Nurturing. That's what comes to mind when I think of the work of Blanca Diaz, also known as Mama Maiz. Blanca is a practicing doula and herbalist whose work takes her around the country, teaching and practicing plant-based healing. She nurtures new mothers as they prepare to bring new life into our world, and she nurtures plants for their wisdom, healing, and beauty. She nurtures community from the ground up, and as she says, she is sharing what she has been called and given permission to share. Blanca Diaz, Mama Maiz, joins us today via Skype to share more of her own garden journey. Welcome, Blanca. Thank you. Such a beautiful introduction. Your work is really inspirational since I have been aware of it. I read about you through the Native Plant Society newsletter this past summer and mm-hmm. have been a, a follower of your work on social media, Instagram specifically. And it's very powerful to me and very moving to me to see a love and wonder of plants put towards the efforts you put them towards. I'd love to start with uh, your earliest influences in life, Blanca, and what when you first started being taught about these things yourself and by whom and at what point you knew you were a plant person on this earth. Um, It started very young. I remember as a child walking through my backyard and just connecting to all of the plants that my father and mother tended to. We had everything from this huge, amazing avocado tree. Um, We had guavas. We had sugarcane. We had corn. And then we had a small patch of area where we had herbs that we would use and go to when we felt ill and out of sorts. So it was always something very common that if we ever needed anything in as form as medicine, it be physical or it be emotional, we were always asked to go outside, pick the plants, bring them in and you know, my mother would stand over that stovetop and prepare us a tea, and there's nothing else that could compare to that. Um, so those are the memories that come to me when I think of my childhood and how it is that I was connecting to the plants before even really realizing that mm-hmm. I was doing so. Mm-hmm. And where would would your mother and father have learned this from their parents? Was it part of your family background? Yeah, my father actually grew up um, in, you know, the rancho, in the ranch in Mexico, and always tended to plants and animals. I just recently found out my mother actually worked as a teenager in the fields in Fresno, actually tending and picking fruits and vegetables. Mm. So um, there's always been a practice of tending to the land and connecting to the plants. But again, I don't necessarily know that it was understood as so. I think it was a form of survival. It was a form of just a way of living. Mm -hmm. It was never taken as anything more. It was just so natural and so normal for my parents that the time to actually sit and connect 
to the reasons why we they were doing the work mm -hmm. was never asked until I started asking them the questions as an adult. Yeah. Yeah. And so where did you grow up in your, your childhood garden from those memories? Where is that? I grew up in southeast L.A. in a city called Southgate. Mm -hmm. um, and I also did a lot of moving around as a child, but that was my home base. You mentioned this idea of starting to ask these questions about the reasons why as an adult. Describe your journey moving from a child in the back garden with your mother and father to being an adult that would ask these kinds of questions? There was a huge transition in my life as a young adult where I needed the plants more than ever for my physical and emotional and spiritual healing. I didn't necessarily get those answers right away from my parents. Mm -hmm. um, I found myself with elders and healers that were providing me with plant medicine and then I would come home and sit with that medicine, learn from that medicine. Then eventually I felt the call to ask my parents. Once I began to ask my parents, the answers were there. Um, I just don't know if the time was ever right mm -hmm. to start having that conversation with them. And it happened when it needed to. The way yeah. things often do, right? Yeah. Describe um, a little bit, if you can, um, to the extent that you're comfortable about the uh, what led you to, as a young adult, needing this kind of healing and how you came to find the elders and healers uh, that were your next part of your education. So um, as a young adult, around 20 years old, I found myself in patterns that weren't necessarily the healthiest for me. Um, at that moment, when I realized there needed to be a shift and a change, I found myself asking family and friends and community for assistance. And that's when I was led to specific healers and elders for guidance. It was a number of different things. Um, we like to talk about, in some of my classes, we like to talk about the idea of historical trauma mm -hmm. and how intergenerational trauma is passed down in bloodline. And I truly feel that I was in a way, sitting with all of that in my young adult age yeah. and finding ways to, to really heal from that. Mm -hmm. I didn't know it then that this was the energy I was working with. I didn't know then that a lot of the pain that I felt emotionally and physically didn't necessarily belong to me. It was just simply passed down. So we explore this idea of historical trauma now. We explore this idea of intergenerational trauma and what's been passed down through bloodline. And we see it. We see it a lot. If we take a step back and we see the relationships of our parents, of our aunties and our uncles, of our grandparents, how have those relationships shown up in the relationships that we carry ourselves? It took a very, very long time to understand, and I'm still exploring that, still trying to figure it out in my own personal way mm -hmm. so that I can continue to heal. We're always healing as, as individuals, as physical and spiritual beings. We are always finding ways to grow and to transform and to shed, and the plants are really 
one of the main allies that I have in this process. Yeah. This idea of the, the plants being something we can lean on in these moments of transformation. And they're a little bit different for everyone, but everyone really does go through them, which is one of the things I love about people that I interview is hearing these different stories and these different ways of of transforming and the growing pains involved and the way that our our plants, our landscapes, and our, our plant communities can, can help us and teach us, more importantly. Um, so at what point did you decide that you would move from being as much a student and someone healing into the role of somebody nurturing and sharing with others to facilitate their process in this way, your journey to becoming a doula and a practicing herbalist yourself? I don't know if there's an exact moment that I can pinpoint in memory, but I do know that seeing my body heal, literally physically, from the plants it is that I was ingesting and taking in and changing diet and changing lifestyle and changing outlook, it's all one, right? We can't just... We can't just go to the plants and expect them to heal us. We can't expect them to give us all of the answers. We ourselves also have to do the work. So that came in ways like shifting my outlook, shifting my lifestyle, shifting my connection with food, shifting my connection with water, um, along with taking the plants. When making these shifts and making these changes within my life and seeing the benefit that the plants were were providing my body with, mm-hmm. um, I knew I just had to share. I had to share the little knowledge it is that I had. And that was with family, that was with friends. And then from there, just the passion continued to grow and grow and grow. And little by little, I found myself holding small classes. I found myself calling in community and those that also were connecting with the plants and those that were also looking for other ways to heal. And we collectively began to heal together. And we collectively began to teach one another and to learn and to share. And I think that's the most powerful aspect of of plant medicine, that it brings people together mm-hmm. in such beautiful, profound ways. And we all have something to share. So I felt just the need the need to share with community. And then after feeling that need and connecting with elders and having that need be reaffirmed and having their blessing as far as, yes, you need to teach this. Yes, continue with this work. Um, I knew I was on the right path. And there's nothing else that I would, that I feel I am meant to do with my time and with my energy. So it's become so natural. Yeah. Would you have any specific examples of um, some of these experiences with specific plants? Say, for instance, as early as your experiences with your mother and father, what what you would feel bad, like if you had a cough, you were sent to the garden, what were you told to pick and what did your um, mother or father do to prepare it for you? Yeah, I one of the plants that always, always comes to mind 
is what my parents referred to as like yerba buena, which was a spearmint. So I, any time that there was a belly ache or a discomfort within the body, we were always asked to go pick our yerba buena outside in the herb garden. And I think because that plant itself, you know, we all know mints and spearmint and peppermints and to be able to just brush against that plant, to have those volatile oils released into the air, Mm. to make that connection with scent and touch, that in itself is something quite special. So just taking from the plant, bringing it into my home and having my mother prepare a tea of it. There's no other tea that compares. Mm. That tea, because prepared by my mother or by my older siblings, was the best tasting, was the most healing, and I could never recreate that, right? Because it was prepared with such love, with such intention, and such care. And all of that really comes into the medicine. How is it that we connect to these plants? How is it that we ask of them to heal us, to make us feel better, to comfort our aches, to comfort our bodies? All of that is part of how it is that the medicine is going to literally affect our bodies. Yeah. How is it that it's going to make us feel once we take that first sip? And nothing else till this day. I can try repeatedly to recreate that tea and I could never. (laughs) And that's that's special because that's the memory that I hold with me dearly. And that plant, you know, is so easy to grow. Peppermints are so easy to grow. We pick them from the earth and they want to give. We stick them back and there they are offering so much to us. It's such a sweet memory. I'm Jennifer Jewell and this is Cultivating Place. Today, we're speaking with Blanca Diaz of Mama Maiz. An active herbalist and doula, Blanca's relationships to plants for their medicinal properties supporting our well-being derives from her parents directing her to plants in their back garden as a girl. Her mother's fresh-brewed herbal tea remains one of her strongest memories of the healing power of plants. She continues to nurture and educate others about this knowledge and these important relationships in several key ways on personal and communal levels. We'll be right back after a break to hear more about her own learning with elders from Mexico, from the native communities of Southern California, and with herbalist leaders. This is Cultivating Place, conversations on natural history and the human impulse to garden. We're back after a break to speak more with Blanca Diaz, also known as Mama Maiz, a practicing doula and herbalist. Blanca is a powerful voice for building relationships to our native plants as a foundation for restoring our landscapes, building community, as well as honoring ancestors and future generations. Welcome back. As a young adult, when you started interacting and learning from um, elders and healers in your community, do you have any specific memories there of plants you were introduced to and that led you deeper into this knowledge base? Yeah, I have this beautiful balance of the Western herbalist perspective and the traditional Mexican, native, indigenous knowledge. So to be able to combine the both 
I think is something really quite special. Mm -hmm. So I found myself immersed in the Western herbalist practice when I first started this journey. Um, it didn't begin that way because I found myself with an elder, with a curandera who provided me with medicine. But what I had available to me locally was the Western herbalist perspective. So um, I dove in and I took that all in. I have a beautiful mentor and teacher here in the city of Long Beach by the name of Julie James. And she is extremely educated and knowledgeable with the science behind the plants. Mm -hmm. So I took that in for a couple of years. And then when I truly, truly felt there was something lacking from that, I started searching elsewhere. And that's when I started meeting the elders and the community members that were able to reconnect me to tradition and indigenous plant knowledge. So were these and elders and healers, this next set, this next deepening of your, of your learning, were they from a specific community of people or tradition? Yeah, we have a couple of different elders. Um, I have an elder that comes out from Mexico who I connect with, um, I'd say probably about four or five times a year, who holds space for spiritual healing. Um, there's also a couple of other elders that I go to and that also that I meet publicly, right? Mm -hmm. We have lots of elders like Barbara Drake who is connected to the Tongva community here in Los Angeles. And you can connect to them through um, the Chia Cafe and they go out and do agave harvests every season and every year. Um, so there's lots of people available um, within this area. But those that I connect to on a personal level range everywhere from you know, in Mexico who come and travel to share and also elders here in the LA area. Mm -hmm. I'm going to speak more on the curandera aspect just out of respect for the Tongva and the Shumash knowledge that has been shared. Yes. Um, so I will share something that I feel called to, and that is... We know our California native plant here as mugwort, but we also connect to it down south and in, through parts of Mexico, and it's referred to as estafiate. And this plant is extremely, extremely sacred. And I think with the practices of curanderismo and how it is that I connect to the plants on the spiritual level, um, mugwort has always been one that I have incorporated and have been taught to incorporate into my self-care. So outside of preparing a tea with it or using it as internal medicine, we also use it externally. So that means bathing with the plant. That means using the plant. It's really intense, it's aromatic properties. So we use the plants not only as, as tea, but also incorporating them into our self-care in many ways. Mm -hmm. So one way that we use estafiate, one way that we use mugwort is in our baths. 
really incorporating it into our spiritual bathing and into our self-cares. When you say spiritual bathing, describe, describe this process and this act. I feel called to share this practice respectfully and humbly and also not want to speak for a larger group of people and a larger practice. I feel called to share what it is that I personally do for myself, if that's okay. I also want to make sure that we all understand that the connection and the medicine that we we prepare begins earlier than actually preparing a bath. So for instance, I grow mugwort here in my home. And it's really important for us when we do prepare medicine in such a way that we have a relationship with these plants, that we tend to them in ways possible. Not all of us have access to land, but we do have access to a pot. We have access to a neighbor's yard. We have access to a relative's yard. So if there's any way that we can possibly grow these plants, I encourage um, folks to do so because it also creates a relationship where we respect the land of the indigenous people. We don't necessarily want to go out and harvest these plants because these plants are being over harvested as of today. Mm -hmm. Um, We know that white sage is being pulled out of the earth. We know that mugwort is being harvested in very disrespectful ways. So I just felt called to share that, that the beginning of this relationship starts with growing and tending the plant. So with the plant, say mugwort, my mugwort plant here in the yard, I go to it, I ask of it, I pray to it, and then I prepare a tea of it, a strong tea that I allow to sit for a number of hours. And it's all done with intention. It's all done for a reason. If there's anything that is heavy in my heart, if there's anything that is stagnant within my body, um, I immediately go to water. Water is one of the sacred elements that I feel called to incorporate into my daily self-care so that I can continue to honor the water within my body, continue to honor that flow within my body, so that I can assist my body in releasing any sort of stagnant energy. So when I bathe, it's all with intention, it's all with prayer, um, and it's all in good heart. And um, literally just kind of bathing. And I know in the state of California, a lot of us, are not called to necessarily take baths every week um, due to, you know, our relationship with water. We have to be extremely respectful with water here in the state of California. Um, So even just foot baths, Mm -hmm. if we feel called to do that, just allow our body and our feet, you know, to rest at the end of the day, prepare a tea, allow our feet to kind of absorb the medicinal properties of that plant as well, right? Yeah. So um, there's many different ways that you can bathe with plants. Yeah. You're reminding me of the one very bad cold I had last winter and a bowl of herbs picked from the garden and just steaming over them for a few minutes. It, it just 
to go into the garden to find them, the aromatherapy of the, the oils being released when you pick, as you mentioned, and then the steaming, hydrating oils coming up into my my nose and my sinuses and my lungs and my heart and my head. It, I'm very appreciative of this process that you are emphasizing for us, that the holistic part of the relationship aspect. Mm. Yeah. And I love to hear your story. Steam is one of my favorite forms of medicine. And truly, scientifically, it's one of the most effective ways that we can take in plant um, medicine, right? Especially when, well, typically we tend to go to aromatic plants because the essential oils are what's being released, you know, Mm -hmm. into the vapor that we are then taking into our bodies. And it's, you know, I just, I'm getting over a cold. And that was one of the first things I went to, to that steam medicine. And it's such a beautiful way. And then you can use that water after, you know, you can use that water to, you know, rinse your hands, wash your face. That's if, you know, you're not, it's not, it's not running out of your nose. Right. <laughs> Which it does in a beautifully satisfying way, right? When you're doing right, one of these right. steam baths. Oh, Lord. No, definitely. It's not definitely. pretty, but it's very satisfying. <laughs> really is. <laughs> talk about this this path towards western herbalism is there a school there and then talk about your process in becoming a, a doula as well mm-hmm. i am at the moment taking an apprenticeship with julie james she has a school out here called green wisdom herbal studies um, that is one school for anybody in the la area that i would definitely recommend there's no one no one in the other area doing what Julie James is. And that's because, again, it is so science-based. Her teaching is necessary. If we're going to be using these medicines in a particular way and serving community in a clinical way, then we definitely need to know the science behind our plants Mm -hmm. and our medicine preparation. The way that I came about my doula work was truly just feeling the call. I remember having a conversation with my friend um, and it was at a moment in my life where I had been working retail for about 10 years of my life. I was feeling stuck. I was feeling completely worn down, no motivation whatsoever. And a dear friend asked me, well, what do you want to do with your life? And I just looked at them and I was like, I I don't know. I just want to, I want to help women. You know, that's all I said. And then from there, I feel even just vocalizing that things started coming in my direction. Mm -hmm. Um, I was being led to classes that were focused on women's health. And that is where my path began as far as doula work. So I became passionate about the health of pregnant women. And I've expanded that to the health of pregnant people, all people. We don't all identify as women. We don't all identify as female. So giving space for folks as well that are pregnant in whichever way that they identify in this world, also providing them with support. Mm -hmm. Um, And also being an advocate for marginalized communities that don't have a voice. I've been in many situations where my clients have been 
accused of not being able to speak the English language just because of the way that they look. So to be able to be there while they're in labor (laughs) and to be able to advocate for them and guide their partners to advocate for them is extremely important because this is where families begin to experience lack of respect in in hospitals, let's just say. Yeah. That actually leads me to one of my questions, a concept that you refer to in some of your work as decolonize our medicine. And I think that's sort of getting into the heart of this question. As far as decolonize your medicine or our medicine, um, it's all, that phrase is going to be something different for all of us. Those words, decolonize and medicine, can be very upsetting to some folks. Mm -hmm. Um, What I would like to open up is the possibility of having people explore the idea of what medicine is. When Mm -hmm. we think of medicine, we think of prescription drugs that a doctor has to sign off to us. And that's not necessarily what medicine means Mm -hmm. to me personally. Mm -hmm. Medicine is taking a walk on a trail. Medicine is taking a moment to sit outside and connect to your breath. Um, My nieces and my nephews, you know, that's my medicine. They bring happiness to my heart. And if there's happiness to my heart, my blood pressure is going to lower, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm going to feel more present. I'm not going to feel as stressed about the day-to-day things that many of us have to be concerned of. How is it that we're going to pay our rent? How is it that we're going to feed ourselves? How is it, you know, all of that begins to become just easier to kind of work around when you are in a healthy environment. Yeah. And some of us don't have that luxury, right? Some of us don't have that space and some of us haven't been taught that, that that is important medicine. The conversation about why it's important and what its benefits are is that expanding awareness for everybody is, I think, almost as important as, as anything. Mm-hmm. Definitely. That's why I feel so called to create those spaces for my community. Mm-hmm simply by having a class in the garden and giving folks a space to sit on a piece of land that we don't necessarily have accessible in all parts of the city, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. Giving folks an opportunity to come and meet the plants when, you know, they live in a high-rise apartment building. So um, it's extremely important, and I think it's also important for us to be that example, right? And we're not always the best examples. I'm not always the best example, you yeah. know. <laughs> I can be. I can. I. I'm upset. There's a lot to be upset about. We know that. Yeah. But um, we try. We definitely try. And when I think we have community to connect to and to hold us accountable, it's easier to stay in that place and to know that you're supported mm-hmm. is extremely important not only by the plants and by the elements, but also by your community.
I'm Jennifer Jewell, and this is Cultivating Place. Today, we're speaking with Blanca Diaz of Mama Maiz. Blanca cultivates native plants for the healing and relationship they offer to her and to her community of people and wildlife. One of her greatest hopes with her work is that in teaching other people to build similar relationships with their native plants, they will come to reassess what they mean by medicine and by health. Her work illustrates the power of tending and learning about your own sense of well-being as being integral to the well-being of the plant communities and landscapes of your place. We'll be right back after a break to hear more. Stay with us. This is Cultivating Place, conversations on natural history and the human impulse to garden. We're back after a break to speak more with Blanca Diaz, also known as Mama Maiz, a practicing doula and herbalist. Blanca caringly tends to both wild and cultivated spaces for the plants and wildlife that thrive there, as well as for the many benefits she derives from being in healthy, respectful relationship with these spaces. Welcome back. I would love for you to describe for listeners some of the practices that you undertake on a regular basis in order to support your communities. Yeah, I would love to start off with the little one nature walks and just give folks the opportunity to visualize um, a group of eager and energized little ones ranging from the age of just a few months old to about 11 years old, just gathering at a park in the middle of the city, um, excited to learn jumping and hopping and already feeling so called to what is that? What's that plant? What is this? Before we even begin to get started and before we even settle in and ground down, we always have those two or three kids already asking about the plants. And I love and adore that. We always meet at a local park here in the Long Beach area and we gather in a small circle and I have space for the kids to introduce themselves and we always share a little something. I like to open up with the idea of, do you believe in fairies? Do you believe in energy? Do you believe that the trees and the plants can talk to you? And kids are more open to discuss and talk about the way that they connect to plants than many adults. So just to kind of go around in circle and have them share this, they already begin to hear other children sharing their same ideas, sharing their connections. And some of us stay very quiet and some of us stay very, you know, inward. And that's okay too, as long as some of us are sharing and feeling inspired by the idea, do the trees talk to you, Mm -hmm. right? Just Mm -hmm. opening in that way. And then that allows me to open up with the discussion of where are we? This is the land of the Tongva people. We are here with respect. We always want to make sure that we are asking for permission to enter this trail, to enter this park, because at one point before all of these structures came to, this was a land that was protected and tended to by the indigenous people of this land. So then you give them the opportunity to 
share if they have already knowledge that they've learned from either school or their parents or their elders about the land as well. It's amazing to know that some students do remember, oh yeah, I remember this is Tongva land, and they'll be able to share what they've learned in their classes, in their classrooms and whatnot. So we're bringing in history. Mm-hmm. We're bringing in you know, imagination. We're bringing in connection to our surroundings before we even begin to walk. And then once we do, we always leave a small offering that could be our words, that could be a song, that could be, um, sometimes I'll bring some dry plants from the area that we kind of sprinkle into the path, and then we begin to walk. And as we walk, we introduce ourselves to the plants. We say, hello, white sage. Hello, California sagebrush. And we just have so much fun with it. Mm. We give the opportunity for the plants to stop us and say hello. And we acknowledge that when we feel called to smell a plant, that it's not necessarily just ourselves feeling that call, but the plant themselves inviting us. Mm. So we begin to grow this relationship and honor it. And the little ones are so, so, they do so well. And we begin to walk and we touch the plants and we smell them and we share history. You know, we all know the idea of California sagebrush being used as perfume and deodorant, right? The cowboys deodorant and how stinky cowboys used to rub it on their armpits. You know, kids love <laughs> that that story and that that idea. You know, they begin to play with the idea of rubbing plants in their armpits to smell better and and, you know, just sharing very, very common knowledge like that. We always also take a moment to stop and draw and connect and write anything it is that our hearts feel called to write or feel called to draw. If we are called to a specific plant, we walk to it, we draw what we can, and we give the kids an opportunity to also shift mindset and be a little creative and be a little artistic. And then we continue our walk. We always make it a point to acknowledge the ancestors of the land, acknowledge the plants. How is it to respect the plants? We're not going to tear from them. We're not going to rip the plants. We're going to tend to them, speak to them, and only take very, very little if needed to smell, to taste. Parents are always um, present as well, so they get to interact and Parents are so open to learning and to becoming, you know, a child themselves Mm. and just playing around the plants. So it's beautiful to see just the plants and the people and the children and the parents connect in such a beautiful way. Because we could walk these paths day by day. We can walk past the park. We can walk down this trail and not really fully make a connection. Mm-hmm. We're there, we're on our phones, we have our headsets on, we're not listening to the birds, we're not looking up, we're not looking down. So we give that opportunity to the kids to do just that. And then you also uh, lead healing circles. Here at home, we hold a monthly healing circle in collaboration with Long Beach Girl Collective. We specifically hold the healing circle for QT um, POC communities. So that's um, queer, trans, 
Um, we also make sure to open up the collective to Black, Indigenous, POC um, communities. So creating a space where we can come together, share openly, and make sh- and share in a safe space mm-hmm. where we can share stories, share medicine, share traditions, and heal as a collective. I've also been called just recently this summer. I was in Hawaii. I'm holding a Decolonize Your Medicine weekend retreat, which entailed uh, a variety of different self-care practices that I have been taught and given permission to share. And I've shared with um, the Native community there in Hawaii, which if you're listening, I love you all so very much. Um, And it was humbling, extremely humbling to be welcomed and to be trusted and to be given the opportunity to share my humble knowledge with a community that has their own. You know, Mm -hmm. there's a community in Hawaii that is fighting very, very hard to save tradition, protect tradition, and also to protect the land. I think we imagine Hawaii as a place of of freeness and a place to have fun and paradise, but that paradise isn't necessarily available to the native people that have lived there for generations. Mm. So, um, I just felt called to share that. Um, I was also called to teach at a ball, um, a herbal conference in Baltimore this summer at the Chesapeake herb gathering. And that was so much fun. My first time in the East Coast, and I was able to connect with community there. Um, And I think it's just this call to connect with all four directions, this call to connect with community in whichever way we can. Sometimes it takes for someone to come from the outside in to just ignite that fire, that passion. And not to say that that's me, but I want to be able to share with communities across the country, across the globe, and let them know these are our practices. How is it that they connect to you and your traditions? And how is it that we can make sure we're respecting each other? And so then that brings me, because I, I think it is one of the universal connectors for, for those of us that are plant people, is that I have yet to encounter a tradition, either historical or modern, that does not um, include gardening by whatever way we mean that word, the, the cultivation of plants respectfully for beauty, for food, for utility, for medicine, for spirit. Tell us what your practices are with your garden. Well, I don't have just one garden. I have (laughs) many. (laughs) And um, they all look a little different. I tend to landscapes here in Long Beach that are native plant focused. Mm -hmm. And those landscapes have everything from oak trees to white sage to... Um, datura plants to um, a number of different sagebrushes and buckwheats and lots of beautiful plants. 
Um, so I go to those plants regularly just to to tend and to care for and to trim back and to harvest from respectfully for my own medicine or to share medicine with the folks that own that property. And then I also have a garden with my partner that we started many, many years ago. And that garden is one of my favorites. We have a huge elderberry tree that is still in flower to this day. Earlier this morning, we had a really light drizzle, which brought so much joy to my heart. (laughs) And I immediately ran out to the garden and ran to the elderberry tree and just stood there in awe of just its beauty under the drizzle and connected to it in that way. And um, it's just those little moments where you... Again, I know I'm so fortunate to be able to have access to these gardens and to be able to just kind of plant my feet on the earth and give myself a moment to take a few deep breaths is so, so, so special. That garden is particularly kept for food. So we grow everything from tomatoes to squashes, kales and chard and things that we use regularly. In my garden where I live, um, we have a community garden where the folks that share this space, we all tend to. And I mainly grow a lot of my medicinal plants. So here, um, you're going to see a little bit more of the sages and the mugwort that I repeatedly go to day after day, just even to sit next to and to brush up against. And we also have plants like burdock. Burdock was my very first plant ally. Burdock was the one plant that healed my body physically when I was extremely ill. And so here I am, I have the opportunity to grow it and to see it grow through the season um, is something quite, quite special. Mm. To actually see the plant grow creates this deep appreciation for the medicine that these plants carry. I also have plants that I use for my clients. So plants, typically I, I assist clients that have either a heavy heart or are healing from trauma, PTSD. Um, and this is because I myself healed from an extremely abusive situation with self and and with a partner. So just naturally, people are drawn to me for that care and for that assistance. So I have plants here that lift the spirit. We have lemon balm here, white sage, and lots of other beautiful plants. Each garden has a personality of its own. Mm -hmm. It also has a specific intention. And so here I grow a lot of my medicine. We also have a garden where we grow lots of our food. And then within these native landscapings, we are providing habitat and also providing a space for folks to sit and enjoy and watch the birds come. Do you have anything else you would like to add about the importance and your hopes for the future with this work? I do. I think a lot of us that are called to do this work are really advocating for the plants right now. And um, it's encouraging folks, encouraging folks to, to grow and to connect with the plants. At this very moment, we see 
a huge interest in wild crafting and wild foods. And I fear that our landscape here in the state of California cannot handle that at this very moment. I encourage folks to, if they do feel called, to go out and collect and harvest and wild craft from nature to think twice. When we all go out to harvest, we begin to take from the animals. I want to make sure that we all open up the opportunity to building a relationship with the plants in a different way, and that's by growing them. Mm. Also, if you have the opportunity to connect with the communities that are doing just that and protecting the earth and growing native plants, like your, you know, your Native Plant Society, lots of organizations that I just call folks to be connected to and to reach out to so that we can all begin to build a relationship with the native people on the land and also with the native plants. How is it that we are going to connect to them? How is it that we are going to tend to them? With that being said, I'm extremely grateful for this opportunity to share. Thank you so much for being a guest on the program today, Blanca. It's been an honor to speak with you. Thank you. Blanca and I discussed at length the richness of the resources in her area of Southern California the Wishtoya Chumash Foundation, the Chia Cafe Collective, and one of its elders, Barbara Drake, as well as Julie James and Green Wisdom Herbal Studies. As Blanca points out, no matter where you live and garden, your native plant groups, your native peoples, and other educational resources are worth finding and becoming involved in. Join us again next week as the conversations continue on the many ways people engage in and grow from the cultivation of their places. If you enjoy Cultivating Place and value these conversations, please subscribe to Cultivating Place on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, wherever you get your podcasts, and give it a rating and review. Also, most meaningfully, share it with others who also value this level of conversation about these things we love and which connect us. Together, we make a difference. Thank you for listening. Cultivating Place is a co-production of North State Public Radio. The program is made possible in part by the Stanley Smith Horticultural Trust. Our producer is Sarah Bohannon. Our communications coordinator is Casey Gardner. Theme music by Matt Schiltz. Cultivating Place is distributed nationally by PRX, Public Radio Exchange. Until next week, enjoy the cultivation of your place. I'm Jennifer Jewell.